Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Hala Hala podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands for podcasting. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Nishnabeg people. Sigs, we continue our kickoff for the month of October, where we continue on talking about free ad-supported streaming TV and the residual ideology of the Filipinos in the diaspora, But which is all a mouthful. But before we get into that, let's catch up. What have you been up to pop culture wise? Well, okay. First things first, I have two things to tell you. Number okay. one, yes, we got reached out by a listener, a mm-hmm. friend, and I'll say hello, Sonia, who's a fellow Western grad and she's a doctor out in London, Ontario. Wonderful. She had asked me and really directed, have you guys watched season two of Heartstopper? And have you guys done an episode? Uh, of course we have. We have. <laughs> yes. And I was about, oh, we could talk about a pop culture catch up, but I was just thinking, hey, Jesse, I think maybe a taste test in the next few weeks. Yeah, I think we'll what, have to do a taste two. test. Yeah, totally. Um, and not only when we do that, Jesse has some major Heartstopper fashion. I encourage oh, him totally. to wear it <laughs> when we do it. But Sonia, we heard you have spoken to listeners. You make a mention, hey, we'll alter we'll do our it. schedule and do that. And we'll comment it but she was very pleased in how we first talked about the first season and was curious to think Happy what to our pop culture chops were talking about it so yeah. sonia we hear you and keep your eyes up for an upcoming taste test mm. I, I thought you'd be super excited. I'm, like, I'm oh very God, excited someone, about someone that, Sonia. I'm very happy to take on that request <laughs> and happy to talk about Heartstopper Season 2. That's all I've been thinking about. And in fact, I've yes. just been researching and seeing all the clips of them actually filming Heartstopper Season, season three. 3. And yes. very excited about the next book that's coming out from Alice Osman. That's right. So that's coming out in a couple of months too as well. So very kind of in the Heartstopper universe. Can't wait to talk more about it. And happy to change our schedule just a little bit so that we can talk about this gem of a show on Netflix. Awesome. The second thing. Mm. So like many of us, and actually we have a friend, Logan, I see mm-hmm. you, I hear you. He and I had put in, and our friend Tara also, I don't know if did, Quijas, but did you put in for Swifty tickets? Like I, to just be chosen if you could maybe get tickets, but really not really. It's just like a well, waiting list of a waiting it, list. That's exactly <laughs> it. It's a waiting list of a waiting list. They gave you like a, a couple of different ways. If you're an yeah. RBC customer, you could do that. I did, but it's like, like everyone else, we got waitlisted. You and Far Between, not very many people. And hey, you know what? Taylor, Beyonce, they're smart releasing concert movies. I think that's right, great. That's right. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to take Delaney and even Mac to it later in November. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing mm-hmm. Olivia Rodrigo tickets came out and it was mm-hmm. the same thing. You either get waitlisted and stuff. And right. I had some people that did not get tickets, but I will be taking my daughter Delaney oh, on March 29 to Olivia so Rodrigo nice. at the Scotiabank Center. She's going to freak out. She has no clue. She and I sing the new album Guts and she oh, loves to get them wonderful. back. She's so into it. So, we're probably going to buy her a concert t-shirt and she'll open up at Christmas. Oh, say March nice. 29th. See that? I know she's going to be super excited. Uh, Maybe we can coordinate and see you before the concert because we'll, we're going to go totally. take a good train to Toronto. So totally. stay in a hotel. So we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, coordinate yeah. something with Kuya oh and Kito Jazzy. So yeah. we're going to Olivia Rodrigo. I'm I so jealous. Care. I told, I Amazing. Like, Do you want to go? I'm like, yeah, I'm going. 
Sorry, Amazing. it's Delaney. <laughs> I'm gonna go. <laughs> I will be there. Delaney has no clue this is gonna happen, so oh, she's I'll make sure I so take happy. pictures yeah. at Christmas when she opens up that present. But I was very proud, and I'm like, Whew. but let me tell you something. Yeah, like those tickets went by fast. I was okay. I'm so sorry. I was at work when the ticket draw was happening. <laughs> okay, let and me I was say, like, who I moved to meeting. Tickets, you know? I know. I moved to meeting. It was so quiet. I, I blocked <laughs> off my calendar. I'm just sitting there, and it was to get in line. It was like, whoa! I'm like, well, this is a big lineup, and I got in within 15 minutes, and Amazing. I was able to get tickets. But Amazing. I just jumped and got tickets. I didn't do yeah. anything special. I think our tickets were like maybe one plus 100 plus tat 127. That's really good. Which for 300. And I was like, you know what? We'll take a go train, see a hotel, like, and park. And it's in March, right? So there's lots of time. So, yeah. Yeah. That is. It's amazing how costs of tickets to concert these days go. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, 300 to. 3,000 is really what the average rate exactly. is these I, I, days. I don't know the people that, they must be rolling large to get these major tickets. I can't imagine what it would have been like to get Tay-Tay's tickets, but... Oof. Oh my gosh, yeah. Exactly. Well, like speaking of tickets and concerts, yours yes. truly is going to see Madonna twice in Toronto. Ooh. Yes. Ooh, tell and, us, tell us, tell us. Well, and so I've got floor tickets and they're <gasps> kind of towards at the back. I wasn't really happy with them. Oh. However... As of yesterday, October 14th, was the rescheduled kickoff of the Celebration Tour and it started in London. And everyone is saying that the seats that I'm in are probably one of the best in the entire arena. However, they say that the entire show is throughout everywhere. And you want to talk about trying to get those tickets. Oh my gosh, it took... Tell us... It took a bit of time. Like, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, get them and then they're sold out. And then suddenly there's all these verified resellers. And it's like, "Ah, that's not how it's supposed to work. In any event, I'm happy to get them. However, I just think to myself, I think I need to go see her more than once, you know, or more than twice in Toronto. Celebrations is a big tour. Like, the whole MO of it, right? Like, to really go through the state the years. Yeah, she's going through the decades. And apparently it's less of a... I mean, it is a concert because you hear her music, but mm-hmm. apparently she's also kind of recounting her life in some ways. Oh my so, God, a meditation on Madonna's life? I that is know. you. And that it's a celebration. And mm. so I'm looking at the rest of the tour schedule and seeing if there's any other leftover tickets that haven't been sold yet and seeing where I can travel to. So anyways, I just texted our friend Tara saying, hey, are you still going to New York in December? Because she comes to New York. She hasn't gotten back to me. So Tara, if you're listening to this before you see your text, maybe you'd like to check (laughs) it If you'd like to go see a Madonna in New York, because I think that there are a few 100 level tickets there that are still available. Yeah, can I and, ask you something? Did, yeah. The Madonna sellers, and I don't know, this is with Olivia Rodrigo's. I got the tickets, but they're not going to be released till March 27th. That's really Is, that, is that the typical. newest thing now? To, that's to typical. To make sure that people don't yeah, scalp that's them? Right. Is that a new method? So or? They hold them. And then Mm -hmm. if you do want to sell them, you have to hold them for a little bit of time and then you can actually put them back out onto the market. Ah. And then on top of it all, most of the time, even if they offer a will call for the tickets, they usually give you the option for it on your phone. So then you can get a wallet pass of it on Mm -hmm. your phone. Some people just go to the ticket booth because they just want a souvenir. But I would think that Delaney probably doesn't have that type of legacy affection that perhaps me no. and I, I have, have. A, I know because I have that little binder and I have all I know, my tickets I know, in there and now too, I'm just like I, I don't want to print them out but it's so funny I just thought oh my god is this a new thing where it'll prevent it because it it's, it's just like thank you for buying tickets you will receive these as of 
certain so, dates. Know, Wednesday, March 27th. I was like, okay. It does problem. feel kind of odd, especially probably for Gen Xers who are just used to like, you go, you get your you tickets, tickets yeah. in the mail. But everyone else is just kind of like, no, this is how it works. And it's true that this is how it works. You just wait for that date. They release the tickets. And then that's at that point, whether you want to either keep them or sell them or whatever the case may be. And then mm-hmm. I don't know if Delaney has a device, but if she has a device, you could transfer that to her or mm-hmm. you keep both tickets on your phone and then you get. That's what I'll do. And I'll print them arena. Yeah, exactly. that's right. So. Let's not joke with the fact that I'll probably be like, she brought several shirts. And I'll be like, okay, here we go. Yeah. All right, I get it. Some glow-in-the-dark stick that she'll probably yeah. make, like, emphatically. Oh, amazing. What other pop culture have you been have been up to? As yeah, this, that's a uh, great question. Yes. Yeah. So I've also been getting into young adult queer novels lately. Oh, yeah? And so yeah. the last one that I've just recently read is The Charm Defensive by Alison Cochran. And so for those of you that don't know what that book is about, it's a fish out of water story where we meet Charles Winshaw, who's a socially awkward tech millionaire, who also then meets Dev Deshpande, who is a production handler and hopeless romantic on the set of a Bachelor-like show known as Ever After. So Mm -hmm. he goes on there to rehab his reputation, and instead he finds a fairy tale. So this is Charles that I'm talking about finds mm-hmm. a fairy tale romance and they find something more endearing instead. So it's a great story. I mean, it's predictable in the sense that you can kind of see where the plot points are, but it's just mm-hmm. really nicely and it's really great fluff. And it's been a nice <laughs> everything else that I've been kind of reading and watching and listening to music wise. So it's been fun to get into this genre. And I was just saying to Michael, I said, Oh, I wish I had more of this genre when I was like in my 20s. But nevertheless, it's fun to just kind of get into. It's kind of like in the same vein as Heartstopper and Red, White, and Royal Blue. Red, White, Royal Blue, If you like those, you probably will also like the Charm Defensive. So, Sonia, maybe that's something that you might want to you know, taste test on and maybe maybe Sonia might want to come on and do a taste test with us on that. In we'll any have event, to, yeah, we'll have to bug her. <laughs> we'll have to bug her about that. So, yeah. so that's what I've been kind of up to pop culture rise. And the reason why I've been kind of reading books is, is because to be quite frank, <laughs> there hasn't been that much pop culture kind of coming through the pipeline because of the fact that there's some strike action that's occurring that's right. At least right now with the actors, you know, and our listeners that had listened to the first episode of season six will know that we are dedicating the month of October to the Hollywood labor movement. And of course that we're discussing all things labor along with working conditions this month. And as of October 15th, which is today when we're taping this podcast, the WGA ratified their agreement with the AMPTP Mm -hmm. on October 10th. However, the next day, if our listeners don't know, the AMPTP broke off their talks. So they actually were the ones that walked away from the table on October 11th with regards to negotiations with the actors. And Mm -hmm. I think for those of our listeners that also don't know, the major contestation points, I guess, if we can kind of call it that, is the use of AI for both actors and writers. But for specifically Mm -hmm. for actors, it's really interesting. It's like scan their image and then they can use it in perpetuity for a cinematic universe and then not get any more compensation. So I think that they're seeking better compensation on that and as well as consent in terms of their use of their image. And that's been obviously been questioned. And some of the issues is also around kind of proper compensation for you know, what is a changing TV landscape? Like, you oh, know, yeah. six, remember like every year for Friends, we would have 20 to 23 episodes. Remember That's that? That's right. Exactly. 
And now Bridgerton had like eight episodes. Like how many episodes is the morning show? Like morning show's only 10. And like this model is very much based in what the British model was. That's we right. We had to talk about that before. Yeah. And I remember a previous person, there's an interview with Tina Fey and it was uh, Tony, I can't remember the prime minister of England. I wanted to talk to Tina Fey to say, hey, we want the model that you guys have of 22. And Tina goes, we want to do what Britain does. Where, like, the first season of that office, the British office, was how many episodes? Ricky Gervais saw all the money because the U.S. Yeah. turned out so many. And Yes, that's right. And I remember you said something so eloquently about, like, sometimes you don't need 80 novels to tell, like, a story where, you know, yeah. Fleabag is, exists in only 12 episodes. Like, right. we're just so used to, like... Oh my goodness, 22 episodes a season of like Grey's Anatomy or Desperate Housewives or Felicity or One Tree Hill. And right. now it's just these little like tomes eight and like ten so or twelve. Exactly. And in yeah. fact, these days you're lucky if you get 12 episodes. Now it's becoming True. even more like eight to ten and more like eight for that matter. And then I love it when it's like, oh, a limited series of limited four series, episodes. Yes. And it's like, what is that? But because of that changing TV landscape, there's less compensation. That's right. Many writers' rooms as opposed to larger writers' rooms. And as a result, there's been like lower residual re- returns. And during the writer's right. track, it was revealed that the streaming services have actually been quite secretive about the metrics oh, yeah. to understand the success of a show, right? Like, remember, Six back in the 2000s and the 1990s, like, we'd know what was the number one show on Entertainment Tonight. Yeah, Nielsen's you know? ratings. Yeah, yeah, we would get those Nielsen's ratings, but no one actually knows what the audience impressions are on Netflix and Disney+. Plus. And they've kept it so secretive that people have been revealing, oh, I was on Orange is the New Black, and I only got, like, you know, a couple of dollars and stuff like that in terms of their residuals. And... Interestingly enough, streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus have been crying poverty and are (laughs) now experimenting with lower subscription prices with ad support. So I think everyone's like saying there's no money, right? But then yet streaming services are like out there. Like they are, they have become the medium and again, like less TV shows. So I don't know if you've got anything to kind of comment. No, and it's ubiquitous, right? When we go into hotels. That's streaming right. is ready and willing. I went to an Airbnb right. with Tara this summer, yeah. and they had their streaming. We, I didn't even have to log into streaming. Streaming was available. They got streaming a cancer house, and you got to watch it. Right. And it's so weird because it was such a measure. If Growing up in the 90s and 2000s, Nielsen's rating, we knew what the number one shows were, whether it was Seinfeld and Friends. We knew that ads would be buying space. They would be making That's lots right. of money. And yep. we would know if you were to these popular shows, and I'm going to use Seinfeld and, and Friends as the example, because mm-hmm. they were critically acclaimed, That's right. even like The Sopranos, yes. they were making money in bank. Right. right now, one thing that was interesting, when we were talking about the WGA strike, one of the writers of The Bear a fantastic, critically acclaimed yes. show. Yes, yes, yes. It was working in a restaurant. Yeah. Still now. And yeah. he's churning out award-winning scripts. Yeah. Like when Jamie Lee Curtis, Bob Odenkirk, Jeremy Allen, all those folks, A.O. Dibri, they're acting and doing amazing stuff or whatever. These people putting words in their mouths, these writers, right. Right. should be compensated. And they're just like, no, we don't get anything further from streaming. We, right. we, we're we in these writing rooms. We need to be protected. And that's it. We got these episodes. But I still have to go back to my my job in a restaurant, pun intended. Like, I mean. Incredible. Like, oh, and I found it, right? And it's shocking because you're like, but everyone's consuming this. This is an award-winning show. Right. Where, where's the money? You know, like Jerry McGraw. Where's the money? Show me the money. Yeah, show where's me the, the money. money. Yeah, show me the money. Hard working creation. Well, it just shows you then that experimenting with 
ads and having a lower subscription fee, it's not enough for subscription. Like these Mm -hmm. streaming services have to take on advertisement. So it's funny that these streaming services are going to look like traditional TV in the end. (laughs) And I think yet again, it's going to now force TV shows to put again, natural breaks almost every 20 minutes. Cause I don't know, like I was watching as we were preparing for this week's taping of episodes, (laughs) watching the morning show. And it was like, it's interesting that there was no place where you could tell that they they would fade, fade to black, black or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah, was just yeah, a, yeah. It was just like cut after cut scene after cut scene. And I just thought to myself, the future of streaming services, I think at some point will have to take into account ads and stuff like that. But the mm-hmm. interesting part is, is while the paid subscription services are experimenting with that, they've also put out alternatives out there. And you and I were talking about this in the summer, the free ad-supported streaming, yeah. see, or sometimes known as fast. And mm-hmm. many exist with many different formats. You know, here in Canada, they've got Tubi. I think that, that also exists as well in the United States. But of all the ones, the ones that I like the most, or the one that I like the most is Pluto TV. And I told you Pluto most about great. that one. Yeah. Yes. I, it, it, it's just so straightforward, right? And I am just impressed by its interface. Like all the other free ad-supported streaming television, sometimes it just feels clunky. But this, it's like, yes. here's like a TV guide. That's exactly You, know, you just yeah. kind of go down and it's like, oh, Judge Judy. It's a Judge Judy channel. Wonderful. I'm just going to Michael like, must be in that. hog heaven. He Michael totally is. Michael is in hog heaven. He totally is. It. He's totally <laughs> loving that he can have Judy on demand and like run through 10 episodes if he wanted to. And so I think for me, these free ad supported streaming TV and especially Pluto really simulates traditional TV. Now, for oh, yeah. those of our listeners that don't know, Pluto TV is a division of Paramount Global, which mm-hmm. also owns Paramount Plus streaming services. So of course... I'm not surprised when I see a bunch of like advertisements for Yellowstone or (laughs) any of the other Taylor Sheridan shows that that you have to pay money for and then see on Paramount Plus, which is not a problem. But And it's clear that that's how they're making money, along with all the AI Grammarly commercials. (laughs) (laughs) Grammarly, yes. That's on the head where you're like, okay. It's like, like, and I don't mind seeing them, but it just made me think, I think... Like, this is how the strikes and the money and people being properly compensated is going to be paid. Is, is that we have to accept that advertisements is part of TV, you know, when you're it watching is. stuff at home. Yeah. But in terms of my other observation, what I found out, at least in some of just kind of like my surface level research, is, is that the minute you start watching, Pluto makes money. And oh. so it doesn't have, it doesn't need to convince you to watch, right? Because it's already having, the, the minute you log on, they can say to their advertisers, oh, someone logged on to Judge Judy. Even though I might not have seen the commercial because I might have turned it on for five minutes and then gotten off of it, they're still yeah. making money. I just think that that's interesting that they still make money even if you've only watched a minute of it. And as such, I don't feel I have to be convinced to get my money's worth. Like I find that sometimes when I'm watching off of Netflix or Prime or any of the other streaming services, I feel like I have to get my money's worth. Do you get that feeling sometimes? Yeah, like I think also with having Apple TV, Apple Plus, like Apple TV and all that stuff, I'm like, well, I'm paying for this, so I better get something of it. I know Amazon Prime is linked to like our Prime account, but I'm like, there better be something good. Like we have all these available. Yeah. Yeah. And Pluto, I don't feel like 
that's the issue. It's just like, oh, I go on and if I want to, that's great. And if I don't have, but on Netflix or on any of the other streaming services I subscribe to, and I know that sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'm just going to take a break from Netflix for six months because I've watched everything that I can. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I have to get my money's worth. The other observation that I have is, is, is that the access to all this countless back catalog has been so much fun. And although I might oh, not yeah. like sit down for a 10-hour marathon of Laverne and Shirley, it's just been fun to kind of go through, like to find Gunsmoke and... I watched Andy Charlie's Griffith Angels. Show. And the Charlie's, Charlie's Angels and the Love Boat, right? The really good ones, like Jacqueline Smith and Kelly yeah. visiting back. Like, yeah, those are classic. And I think you mentioned before was like Facts of Life. Come yes, on. Yes, Facts of Life. Yes. Yeah, and Family Ties. Yes. And... They have all these great 80s and 90s and even like gunslinger shows. Mm-hmm. And again, Michael loves the entire back catalog of Judge Judy. And in fact, the fact <laughs> that the entire back catalog of Judge Judy is there is like, you can cut the cable now. You can cut the cord if you yeah. want, you know? That's why Judge Judy's making that money. Yes, that's right. Making and then, good money, that woman. That she totally is on this free ad supported television. So again, the commercials don't seem that long. They actually feel a little bit no, shorter than the traditional yeah. television, right? Yeah. The other observation I have is that when I do get caught up in watching a marathon, because usually when I turn it on, it's like we're having dinner and we just want something in the background, or mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, I'm waiting for another show to start. Like I'm waiting time for kill. Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, so a time kill. So I'll just put it on Pluto TV. But when I do get stuck on a rabbit hole of watching, I don't know, like MacGyver or some Star Trek show, I feel like I'm suddenly on a marathon. And it reminds me of all of these marathons that I would see when I would go visit family in the United States, mm-hmm. where we would watch like the marathon of road rules on oh, MTV, where it yeah. would just kind of go on for the entire weekend. And then it would climax on the Sunday night at 8 p.m. where you would see the finale. So it's been kind of fun to watch that, like get into this marathon viewing habit on Pluto TV. But I have to also say it promotes really sloth viewing. <laughs> so I have found myself to be a couch potato of sorts. And I don't know if you got caught in any rabbit holes. It just, watching. Yeah. Where your mouth is sort of open. You're like, oh, oh wow. totally. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Oh wow. And then you're like, oh my God, I just watched three episodes. That's where it gets panicky. You're like, okay, yeah. I, I need to settle down and go to bed. I don't yeah, need this. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Sloth viewing. I think you yeah, need to coin that term. I think it is. I think I'm going to have to get that copyrighted for sure. So when I watch Pluto TV, I have to be really careful about that. And I think that that's what's addictive about this type of, again, free ad supported streaming television. The mm-hmm. other observation that I have is that there's not much access to on-demand stuff. So it feels more mm-hmm. like live TV. And Michael always complains about the fact that it's like, well, I can't tape this, right? And it's like, that's <laughs> the point. That's the point. It's like, I mean, what happened when we had TV and didn't have VCRs? You know what I mean? Like back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of brings us back. Like it kind of takes that element of the 70s and 80s and the nostalgia. And then on top of it all, the, the short commercials you know, puts it all together. And there's something kind of fascinating about this whole experience. And like what I said, like overall, I think Pluto does a good job of simulating traditional Mm -hmm. television and it engages me at the same time. Clearly it sounds like it's engaging you. It's that setup, Kuya. I think it's very simplistic. As soon as you have a TV guide, 
Mm, yes. Like, I think it's easy to click in and flow and be like, oh, this is this channel. Like, it, right. it's helpful. Like, our, my kids will never understand how excited I used to be on a Saturday because the newspaper would bring, like, the actual paper TV guide. Right. buy the TV guide. Yes, and they don't yes. have it. We just are dele- relegated to a simple grid formation, which right. I'm holding on to very tightly yes. when I see that. So, yeah. yeah. I think the interesting thing about Pluto TV and I guess hopefully the rise of this type of television Mm -hmm. is I actually think that this is where it's all going. Like it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to convince you to watch and it doesn't have to convince you to log in. You just have to download the app, you know, as opposed to when I go to a Hilton hotel room, you know, and and Netflix (laughs) is there, but then I have to awkwardly log in. And then at the end of my stay, I have to remember to clear my credentials and stuff like that. Here, it's just like download the app. You don't have anything to log in. You go to the channel. Yeah. And then what's great is this is because Pluto TV needs you to watch. They're very careful to figure out how to curate it. So if you want to watch all this courtroom television, there <laughs> is a courtroom television channel. If you want to watch all the different types of CSI, it's like CSI That's 24 right. hours. Right. If you want to watch all this kind of home like and garden. Yeah. home and garden and make full wish television stuff, like they yeah. have it all curated. So that's also the beauty of something like Pluto is that they go to the back catalogs and then they get all these ads. And then the people that are obviously made this contact will get these residuals. And so I think that this will be the secret cash cow for streaming corporations down the road where it's actually going to probably be these streaming services that eventually subsidize, if you will, the paid subscription services. At least that's that's what I think. I think and so. I, I, think that's yeah. a, I think that's a, a very like educated guess. A yeah, good that, that's kind of what I'm right guessing. Yeah. yeah. So because of that, I think this is kind of, again, where people are going to get their money, right? Which is where the mm-hmm. residuals are, which is what the actors are fighting about. So speaking of residuals, that, that does lead us Segway. To, into Segway. Our, our culture capital topic today, uh-huh. which is residual ideology of culture. And so hmm. six, the reason why I was thinking about this as kind of pairing it up with residuals, not just only just in terms of words, but but really kind of coming back to this idea of anything that kind of was in the past, but still has some legacy or remnants to it or residuals mm-hmm. to it. When you think about kind of comedy, you can see elements of Frasier and you can see elements of Friends and you can see elements of Seinfeld in some of today's comedy shows and stuff like that. But I think the same thing can also be said about Filipino culture. So Mm -hmm. just to kind of like unpack it a little bit more, residual ideology is really cultural beliefs and practices that were dominant at some point, but are now in opposition to the dominant ideology of the day. So in other words, it's kind of lost favor. And Mm -hmm. residual ideology may continue to persist with legacy structures or elements. So for example, back at the turn of the century, women were subordinate to men. And of Mm -hmm. course, that's no longer upheld. But we still continue to see equity differences between men and women. So it's made me start thinking about like, what are some of the residual ideology that continues within Filipinos in the diaspora? And for our nerdy and academic and scholarly listeners out there, <laughs> just in case you're wondering where does residual ideology come from, it, it, it's a term that's been coined by Raymond Williams. I believe he's a historian. And then this idea about kind of residual ideology 
in Filipinos in the diaspora. Really kind of, I got this idea from Victor Bascara, who had written about it in Philippinex studies around history development and Philippinex studies, emergent, dominant, and residual. And again, it just got me thinking, what are some of them? And so there are two that I wanted to talk about with you. One example of something that still isn't kind of talked a lot about enough, but we just kind of say it or our parents say it, is gallivanting. And I know throughout our entire podcast, we've sometimes kind of made fun of it, but it made me think that this is an example of residual ideology of Filipinos in the diaspora, where again, Filipino parents tell their children to not go out gallivanting for fear that they may enjoy too much the pursuit of seeking pleasures as they go from place to place. So I always kind of, when my parents say to me, are you going gallivanting tonight? You know, I used to think to myself, like, dude, what do they think I'm doing? Like, I'm just going, going on a crusade? Like, like going think, on a crusade? Yeah, my dad would somehow always say that. dancing or something like that. Yeah. Your dad thought that you were going on a crusade? Oh, I go, why do you have to go out gallivanting everywhere? And I'm like, we're going to Perkins. <laughs> After the movie, I don't understand. And the use of that term. Yes. Uh, you know it, what I mean? It's a, a sophisticated term because I think of the Crusades or something like gallivanting. Like, right, you know, right. I was always interested. I'm like, why would my dad use that term in that well, sense? Like, where and did it's that not just your dad, from? it's everybody's dad. Filipinos, right? Filipinos, <laughs> Filipino it's parents. Everyone's Filipino dads and Filipino yes. parents using this term. And to me, it certainly sounds like a relic of the past. Yeah. When we dive deep into it, like really, obviously, your parents, your dad, my dad, you know, my mom, you know, when they'd use the word gallivanting, it was really about a warning to live an obedient and orderly life. It's like, just go to the movie and come back. And it's not like what you said. It's like, well, we're going to Denny's, you know, and we're going to talk about the movie and hang out and then all of that stuff. But somehow it felt like we were doing something nefarious. Negative. Yeah. That didn't it. Right. Like that's what it felt like to me. So, but interestingly enough, Today, I think the meaning has transformed a bit, at least for Filipinos in the diaspora. Like now when I hear, I don't think my parents say to me anymore that I'm gallivanting, but I think when I hear my parents, you know, intimate it to now their grandchildren, I think it's more of a form of care. It sounds (laughs) anachronistic and odd, you know, but yet it seems like it's going to continue forward because I see these TikTokers and Filipino Instagrammers <laughs> who talk about how we should keep uplifting the idea of saying gallivanting because it sounds so uniquely Filipino. But <laughs> but when a first or second generation Filipino in the diaspora says it, it's more of a like, oh, are you going to have a good time and gallivant? You know? I guess. Well, yeah, that's a total like turn of phrase for it. Yeah. Versus where my dad's like, you need to have purpose. I get yes. that you need to be social. But do you have to just be social? Everyone put in there wherever it's face. Meanwhile, yeah, I could totally see my kids like, oh, are we going gallivanting? Are we going to yeah. go out and see things I and have see. a good time? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Delaney and Mac I get to, you know, Daddy and Delaney are going to go gallivanting to Toronto to go see Olivia, Olivia Rodrigo. Rodrigo. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wonder if that kind of residual ideology will continue with that, right? Mm, like, because that's interesting. What, yeah, because. I can see it, it could technically die out with us, but mm-hmm. it just kind of brought smiles to my face when I saw some Gen Xers, you know, Gen, Gen Xer, Philippine X, P, 
people yeah. in the diaspora just talking about it on Instagram saying, we, we need to kind of keep this tradition alive. And it was like, <laughs> but, but what does it now mean, right? Kind of going forward, because I don't think we would use it that way. Like, I know that like, oh, happy gallivanting, Delaney, right? Like happy gallivanting. Well, I'm just like, right? you and I were in Toronto. Did you, where'd you go? Oh, gallivanting at we Jolly were gallivanting at Jolly at Jolly Jolly. Jolly. <laughs> City. Right? Yes, at So we're gallivanting all over Scarborough, right? Is really what that is. But we are both professionals. We're we both, both professionals. Work. We have our responsibilities and we've earned this gallivanting. That's right. It makes us sound much more exciting than anything else. Exactly. You know, so while before it was a warning, now it's an adjective that makes our life seem that much more interesting. So maybe that's what this residual ideology around gallivanting will be about. The other example that I have is revolutionary spirit. And so as our listeners will remember, I had done a recent taste us on here lies love in Broadway. And I was just really touched what was said at the end where at the end of that musical, they had talked about how this was a show about democracy under threat and, and the importance of needing to protect democracy, not just in the Philippines, but also in the United States and all around the world. I think we see that even in today's world events as, as they unfold. And as I was kind of listening to that, it's really made me think, huh, like that seems to be also a residual ideology where I'm always reminded of the fact that we have a long history of being revolutionary or else mm-hmm. we would not have become an independent state. Well, that's uh, true. Yeah. And the Philippines would not have become an independent state and engaged in that term Laban, you know, that yes. fight, that idea. Yes. And I clearly remember this in grade six coming back from the Philippines and on one trip. And my grade six teacher just asking me to do a presentation to the school and involve other Filipino kids where I had gotten some material back from the Philippines, recounting some of the revolutionaries and what they had done in terms of freeing themselves from American colonial imperial independence, like Rizal and Bonifacio and Aguinaldo. And it's interesting because I don't think Filipinos in the diaspora have kind of inherited this revolutionary spirit. And in fact, I think it's kind of been placed aside. And it's not just only Filipinos in the diaspora. I also think it's for Filipinos in the Philippines that... I think we may have confused or they may have confused being revolutionary for really being disobedient. And I think what they don't seem to kind of think about is risking losing democracy, which I think might explain why Duterte got into power and why, you know, Marcus Jr. got into power. And so, anyway, so these are just some of the thoughts that I've been having. And I've been thinking, Sigs, that these are, again, residual ideologies or beliefs or practices that have just kind of gone to the side and they've been kind of conflated with different things. And in this mm-hmm. case, something for what I think is almost for the worse, right? Possibly risking losing democracy or that sense of good democracy. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but I just think to myself, where is our revolutionary spirit? Where are other Filipinos out there that are revolutionary? Like it, it can't just be Rappler and, and Maria, right? From Rappler. What's her name again, Sigs? Maria Ressa. Yeah, Maria Ressa from, mm-hmm. from Rappler. Like, I, there must be other revolutionaries out there, right? I think also, too, and, and I'm thinking of our counterparts, the Filipinos of Montreal, like Alan Matudio, Eric Tigley. Yeah. I think they're creating, like, community-based communities where they're trying to stand up and represent. Right. And trying to work together. Like, there's a sense of Capua. And I think they just had a wonderful, like, thing last weekend. Yeah. Where they were talking about issues and stuff. And I think 
those things are building. And I think people are learning more about the the culture, being Filipino in the diaspora and making statements and supporting causes or whether they're protests or demonstrations here. I think it's a bit of an evolving thing and people just trying to get in there, learn more. And we, we need to learn more about those important issues. Yeah. And I think people are starting to develop and create their communities and become more educated or create spaces where they can support other people. And this is, and I even see this for ourselves or whatever, where sometimes it's just not an Instagram repost. It's actually attending these things and supporting. So I, yeah. I think that's where it evolves a little bit more. I think in some ways, the people that we've invited on this podcast have also had some form of revolutionary spirit in some yeah, way, shape, or I form. Agree. Right. Yeah. And I think when I talk to past guests that have been on the podcast, it's clear to me that they have believed in inheriting, you know, the legacy of other Filipino revolutionaries. And maybe they have not maybe said it that explicitly, but Mm. certainly they seem to channel it and are okay with channeling our past in a lot of ways. And so they give me hope when we talk to some of our past guests that, you know, there's going to be a resurgence of this particular Filipino value. Instead of thinking that, being a revolutionary and speaking the truth, because I think that that's really what it's speaking about, is yes. not, you know, a bad thing. Because that's right. Like, because I think when I see some of the news over the last four, five, six years in the Philippines, being revolutionary really meant being disobedient, and that you didn't have a care for order you know, or courtesy in this world. And it's like, no, 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 revolutionaries are speaking the truth. They're disturbing the peace because the truth isn't getting out there. And when I listen to, again, all of our past guests, that's what they seem to be doing is, is speaking the truth. And again, speaking truth through power, which kind of is full circle to Hollywood labor movement, that sure. their action has always been about speaking truth to power, which in this case is really being properly compensated. And so that's my wish. My wish is, is, is that future Filipinos remember our revolutionary past and understand that being a revolutionary is really about speaking the truth. So as a fixing for the week, twofold, one is to to try to speak the truth. And as you were mentioning earlier, Sigs, like reacquainting ourselves with our past, because I think that might give us inspiration to come back to this previous ideology of having the revolutionary spirit instead of it being a residual ideology. So if you have got anything else to add to that. No, I think you put that well put. And I think I'll take us out on that note. Mm. We love email. We want to hear from you and your thoughts on this episode. Email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. The Hollow Hollow Podcast is available wherever you get podcasts. Rate us, subscribe, leave a review. Tell your friends about us. You can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at hollowhollowpopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelterring, and we'll see all of you guys again real soon in two weeks. See you guys soon.